We're continuing the Shir and Likutei Halachis. Orachayim, Chelek Aleph, Hilchis Hashkomas Haboiker, Halacha Aleph. We're in the middle of paragraph Yud Beis. In our Likutei Halachis, it's page 8, the right-hand column, the middle of the page. The subparagraph, V'achakach Koyren Parsha Sachoydish. Today's Shir is being given on Chof Sivon, Tovshin Ayin Aleph. Chof Sivon is a day that was designated as a fast day and as a day of commemorating the martyrs of Tach Vetat, the major pogroms massacres that took place in Eastern Europe during the years 1648-1649 when many very, very great Sadikim were murdered, massacred, including Reb Shimshnos Repolyah and others, and we dedicate the Shir Le'ilu Nishmosam, they should be Melitze Toiv to help us be to see the final end to all the persecution of Jews throughout the world, throughout the generations, with with the coming of Mashiach and the Binyan Beis Hamikdash Memher of Yameinu Amen Vyameen. We also dedicate the Shir for a Fuah Shalema for Rav Moshe Ben Dvasha. Rav Moshe Burstein, trying to get over a case of cellulitis, should have a complete Rafua Shalema. Rav Nosenzal was explaining the Arba Parshios, as they're called, the four special Torah readings and half-Torah readings that surround the holiday of Purim and Pesach. Two of these readings are done before Purim, which are Parsha Shkolim and Parsha Zohar, and two of them are done after Purim, Parshas Pora and Parshas HaChodesh. We've explained the first three so far, and now Rav Nosenzal is going on to explain the final one, the fourth one, and how they tie into chapter 282 in Likut Imran, which this halach is based on. V'yachakach koiren parshas HaChodesh. And after we've read the first three parshas, we go on to do Parshas HaChodesh, whereby we read, for the Mafter Aliyah, we read HaChodesh Hazel Ochem Roish Chodoshim, which is in Parshas Boi, which speaks about the, introduces the topic of the Korban Pesach. And we also read a special Haftorah for that. So Rav Nosenzal says, Ki Bechinas Kiddush HaChodesh. That chapter, besides dealing with the Korban Pesach, First, it deals with the mitzvah of the renewal of the moon, the blessing of the new moon, which is related to the concept of the moon being filled in from its deficiency, from its defectiveness. We know that the Torah tells us that when Hashem first created the world, the moon and the sun were equal in their light. They're referred to as the two great lanterns. And at one point, after the moon complained about the fact that you can't have two kings sharing one crown, Hashem lessened the moon. He lessened the light of the moon. He made the moon smaller, as we call it. And we find that whereas the sun maintains its fullness throughout, the moon goes through ups and downs. The first, generally, during the first 15 days of the month, the moon starts off very, very small, and it grows every single day. We see more of it every day until the 15th of the month when there's a full moon. And then from the 16th down to the end of the month, we keep seeing less and less of the moon. And the terminology that's used in the Gemara, in the Zohar Kodesh, it speaks about milui pegimas halavana, the filling in of the deficiency and the defectiveness of the moon. So that the moon today, as long as we are in exile, from the time that Hashem lessened the moon, the moon is referred to as Pegam Halavana, that the moon is defective, deficient. Our mitzvahs and mice and toivim, all the good deeds we're trying to do are to elevate and to fill in what is lacking in the moon. The moon is also used to symbolize the Jewish people, B'nai Yisrael, and the Shekhinah, the spirit of Hashem. So Rav Nosenzal says, This is the concept of renewing the month. The moon being filled up from its lacking, from its deficiency. Because this is known 
in Sifrei Kabbalah, in Sifrei Chasidus, Shekishi Yisroel, him chas v'shon b'madrega p'chusa, that when the Jewish people are on a low level, spiritually, zebchinas pigam halavona, that's referred to as the defectiveness and the deficiency of the moon, because we said the moon symbolizes the Jewish people. Kitrug hayoreach, whereby the moon complained to Hashem at first. And the Sifrei Kabbalah and Sifrei Hasidus tell us that it's from the lessening of the moon that all the sins and all the mistakes and all the bad things that we do are tied into the lessening of the moon. And therefore, when a Jew becomes inspired and he finds within himself a good point, and that motivates him and inspires him and helps him to do tshuva, to do a real repentance, that's the concept of filling in the moon, filling out the moon from its defectiveness, from its deficiency. The renewal of the month, the sanctification of the moon and of the month. Because Rav Nosanzal explains the whole concept of the new moon and the new month is based on what we're learning here. Because in the beginning of the month, when the when the witnesses would go out to search for the moon, and, and at the first sighting of the moon, because at the beginning of the month, the moon is very small, and it's not easy to see. So they would search for it, and as soon as they would sight that little bit of moon, they would come back to Bezdin, they would come to Bezdin, to the Jewish courts, to testify, we saw the new moon, and therefore Bezdin can declare Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of a new month. So at that point in time, Azai Hiktano Vedako Moid Moid. The moon at that time is very small and very thin, very very tiny. Vazai Hirak Bibhinas Nikuda. And then at that point the moon is like a dot in the sky. Hainu Bhinas Nikuda Toivanal. This is tied into the Nikudas Toivas that we're discussing here about a person looking inside of himself when he sees that he's all black, he's all dirty with sin, with, with all kinds of terrible things, and he's searching inside of himself to find a drop of good, to find the dat, the nekuda toiva. Shehi bechinas shchoyrani That good point, which is black because it's covered with a lot of mud, with a lot of ugliness, but it's really beautiful. Underneath that mud is a beautiful diamond, is a beautiful good deed or a mitzvah or a good characteristic that the person has. Meaning that when the moon is at its lowest point, at the end of the month, at the end of the ex- exiting month, then all the Jews have to go out and search for the moon and seek out the moon until a pair of witnesses discover, they find a drop of the moon. They, they're able to sight that little bit of moon that's out there. And at that point, Bezdin declares the new month. They sanctify, they declare it Mekudesh, Mekudesh. We, we hereby bring in the new month with its holiness. Shehu bechinas tikun umilui halavona. This is part of the process of the repair and the filling out of the moon. Every single month when the witnesses would go out and sight the new moon and Bezdin would declare it holy, Mekudesh, Mekudesh, and the Jewish people would say all the special prayers of Rosh Chodesh, and the Tshuva, the Yom Kippur Kotan, the Erev Rosh Chodesh, the Rosh Chodesh, all of that played a major role in the repair of the moon, the repair of the Shechina, the repair of the Jewish people. 
because just through that little dot, Bechinas Nekuda Toiva, that good point, Shezoichen Limtsoi Betachle Samiet, which we're able to discover when things are at their lowest low, through that, the person receives his tikkun. When the person is able to discover that little drop of good inside of themselves or inside of another Jew, when they're at their lowest, lowest point, we said through that, the person receives a tikkun and the person actually is taken out of negativity and brought into merit, into the place of merit, kafschus. Shezer bechinas tikkun umilui halavono mepigimosa kanal. This is parallel. This matches up perfectly with the whole process of the repair and filling in of the moon from its defectiveness. It's the same thing that if the moon becomes dark and dark and darker and darkest. And when it's darkest, where it seems as if there's no light at all, we go searching to find a drop of light, that Nekuda Toiva. And right away, as soon as we discover it, we're all singing and dancing, Nekuda holy, holy. Just that, because of that tiny drop of light. The Alkane Oimrim Habezn, the Holy Israel, Mekudosh, Mekudosh. And this is why the Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah, Davchav Dalid, that when the witnesses come and they say, We've seen it, we've seen that drop of moon, Bezn and the Jewish people announce the words, Mekudosh, Mekudosh, Holy, Holy. Rab Nosanzal says, Kyalidei Hanekuda Levad. Niskachin. A person would say, hold on a second, what are you yelling about? Oh, holy, wait till the moon gets full. Wait till you see a, a substantial amount of light. Then you'll say, holy, that little drop of light is holy? The answer is yes, definitely. As soon as we discover, as soon as we're able to recognize and identify and focus on that drop of light, that drop of holiness, that Nekuda Toiva, we're, we're ready to declare the holiness. Because as Rab Nosanzal said earlier, through that drop of good, the person can become holy. That can initiate a tshuva process. That can initiate taking the person from zero to a million. And this is why everybody says, Rav Nosal says, look what the Gemara says. They have to say it. They have to announce it. Because through their words, the Dibur has a major role in actually elevating the moon from its status of defective and small to the, to the status of Tikkun. Shezeh Kiddushosa. Shezeh Kiddushosa. This is the holiness of the moon. Al Yidei Hanekudas Oer Levad. Through that drop of light, Shero Melavana, which the witnesses observed from the moon. And this parallels perfectly what Rabbeinu Zal and Rabbeinu Zal are teaching us about each and every single Jew's lows and highs. Because as a result of the moon complaining to Hashem, being dissatisfied with the fact that there, there are two equal lanterns, as a result of that, Hashem made the moon smaller. And the Gemara and the Medrash Rabbah and Perak Yud tell us that when that happened, when the moon said, what do you mean? Just because I, I said something, you make me smaller? Hashem said, okay, you're right. You know what? We'll give you the stars to console you, to appease you, that they'll support you, they'll help you out. To appease the moon, as the Medrash says, Rashi, and Rashi Kodesh mentions this in the Chumash. Because the stars in the sky, when do we see the stars in the sky? When it's nighttime. When the sky is black, there's darkness, night. And then if you look carefully at the sky, you see, it's not all black. Just a second, there's a little dot of light over there. And then there's another dot of light over there. So Rav Nosanzal says, the stars in the sky at night represent the nekudos toivos that are found in each and every single Jew. 
Shalyodom nichnosim lekafschus bemis, through which a Jew can actually get himself out of trouble, out of tumah, out of impurity, out of darkness, and bring himself into the onto the side of merit, mamish that he can change his judgment from guilty to innocent. By judging these people in a meritorious way, when a Jew sees a gr- another group of Jews and he sees that jo- those Jews are not religious or they're doing bad things, and instead of blaming them, instead of insulting them, instead of finding fault with them, instead of degrading them, this person looks at them and, and, and looks carefully and takes another look and a third look and says, look at that, even though these people were not brought up with religion at all, look at that, look at this good point of them, look at how, how they, they're respectful. They don't make noise when they walk into a shul or different other things like that, which sometimes it would be so easy to write this person off as a zero, as a non-entity within the Jewish people, within the Jewish religion, and you get a wrestler, a person who is familiar with Rabbein, with these teachings of Rabbein Zahar of Nosenzal, or you get a true tzaddik who looks at these people, and right away he's able to focus on the good point in them, and he can turn things around. Rabbein Zahar says over there, Mikutiman, that by doing that, he can actually change a heavenly judgment against those people. I mentioned once a tremendous chiddush. We know the Gemara in many places says that Lashon Hara is the worst sin in the world, the worst of the worst. The Gemara, in fact, goes so far as to say, but hold on a second, there's a place where the Gemara says there are three sins which a person should allow themselves to be killed rather than to commit those sins. The three sins are idol worship, adultery, and murder. So the Gemara says, if Lashon Hara is so bad, how come we don't add it to that list? The Gemara says, you nincapoop, Lashon Hara is all three of those combined. Murder, adultery, it's all of those together. From Lashon Hara, you get to all three of those sins. So we see that this crime of Lashon Hara is really something terrible. And a person would ask, hold on a second, Lashon Hara means that I saw somebody doing something bad or terrible or say something bad, and I tell it over to another person. I don't lie, I don't exaggerate. I tell it over exact, I'm telling the truth. 100% truth. But it happens to be something bad about another person. What's so terrible? So one of the Mephoshim points out, I'll tell you what's so terrible. We know the Gemara says that the angel that convinces us to commit sins, the Satan, the Sahara, he is the same angel that changes his hat and goes back up to heaven and he prosecutes. He's the prosecuting attorney in the heavenly court. He's the one who goes up and says, I demand a court session and I want to bring with, I want to testify and bring proof that this and this person just did a terrible sin and deserves death, or worse than death in some cases. So the Mephoshim say, Hashem has a perfect alibi. Hashem has a perfect way to get out of it. Get out of here, you. You're one witness. One of the basic tenets in Judaism is one witness cannot testify, cannot put a person to death or anything like that. And the Mephoshim say that the Satan is in trouble. The Gemara tells a story of one witness who came to testify once, against the Jew, and they took the witness, they gave him a good beating. And he started screaming, what do you mean? He did the sin and I'm getting hit? They said, yeah, you bum. You should have known better than to come to court as one witness and waste our time. One witness is nothing. You're just telling us a bubba mice. You're just wasting our time. Get out of here. But if a Jew goes ahead and tells that over to another Jew, Suddenly, the Satan is no longer one witness. He combines his testimony with the Jew who spoke Lashon Hara. In other words, Ruvain was Mechalel Shabbos. The Yitzhahara comes up to heaven and says, Ruvain was Mechalel Shabbos. Bezdin says, so what? You're one witness. Your testimony doesn't count. But if Shimon goes and tells Levi, did you hear what happened? Ruvain was Mechalel Shabbos. Now the the Satan and Shimon combine together to to form two witnesses. No, Shimon is the one who told it to Levi. Both of them, both of them are in trouble. The one who says Lashon Hara and the one who accepts Lashon Hara. Both of them. But in any case, now the Yitzhahara is the Satan is no longer one witness. 
he combines with that person to form a team of two witnesses, and on the testimony of two witnesses, the Bezdin has to prosecute, chasvishon. That's how terrible Lashon Hara is. So here, Rav Nosson Zal is giving us the opposite of this. Rav Nosson Zal, Rav Nosson Zal teaching us that when a Jew sees another Jew or a group of Jews, and he doesn't see him doing one thing wrong, he sees that they're doing everything wrong. He sees they're full of sin. They're full of evil and wickedness. And the Jew who sees this chooses, instead of focusing on the evil and the bad, to look a little more like he sees the black sky. The sky at night, everybody knows the sky is black. It's dark outside, right? And this person says, no, it's not dark. Take a look. If you look carefully, you see a little bit of light over there and a little bit of light over there. These are the koichavim. These are the nekudais toivos. person chooses to focus on the nekudais toivos. They can turn it around completely. They can actually remove a judgment, a heavenly judgment from those people or an, an evil eye that's on those people from heaven because a Jew saw fit to be able to, 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 to find, to look for and find the good in these people and to focus on that. We know there are many stories that are told of great tzaddikim, Rabbi Yitzhak Bardichev and other great tzaddikim who when it came to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, when they realized that their community was in big trouble, that, that their record was not that great in heaven, these tzaddikim were able to stand up and, and able to, to find something really good about the people in Akuda Toiva and put it in Hashem's face and put it in the face of the heavenly court and be able to cancel a judgment against an individual, against the community, against the whole Kali Yisrael. And this is what Rabbein Zal and Rabbein Zal are teaching us over here. And Rabbein Zal is showing us how this mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh which is the first mitzvah that Hashem gave the Jewish people as a nation. The first mitzvah in the Torah, which was given to the Jews when they came out of Egypt, was Kiddush HaChodesh, just like it's the first chapter in Likut HaLochais, because of its incredible importance, because it's so big. Bebechinas, Rav says, as the Pasuk also says, in Doniel chapter 12, Umatzdike Rabim, Umatzdike Horabim, those who justify the public, they are like stars. Rav Nosanzal says, look at the post, look what it says. This refers to the tzaddikim of the generation. Who are able to judge everybody favorably. They're able to find good in every single person. And through this process, they're able to take even Poishe Yisrael, even Jews who commit sins spitefully, and to be able to really take those Jews out of the guilty box and transfer them over to the side of merit. This is the concept of the stars. That the Matzdike Arabim are compared to stars. Why stars? Because the stars are dots. They're little tiny dots in, in the blackness, in the darkness. Now watch how Rav Zal explains that whole posuk over there in Daniel. Rav Zal says if you'll study that chapter in Daniel, that chapter 12 at the end, you'll see that that Pasuk is speaking exactly about our situation. Kim Sham, as is explained over there, it says over there, Yisbororu v'yislabnu v'yitzorfu rabim. Many people are going to be purified and whitened and cleansed. The Hirshiu Rishoim and the Rishoim, those who are really real Shom, they will be punished. Vahamaskilim yazhiru kizoyar horokia. And those who are really intelligent they will shine forth like the shine of heaven. And those who are able to justify the, the public, like stars. Rav Zal explains what that posik, that posik is a prophecy. It's speaking about our times, about the future. And 
as we get close to hearing the footsteps of Moshiach coming. Mamish when at the end of the exile, when the Sitrachra is going to be very powerful, and that's when there's going to be an incredible purifying, an incredible cleansing that's going to have to take place. As the Pesach says over there in Doniel, and how is that cleansing going to be accomplished? How is the tikkun going to be achieved? Through those people who are going to know how to justify the public, how to find favor, how to, how to find the good points in the public. Through those tzaddikim who will have the ability to judge everybody favorably. And they'll be able to find the good points even in people who are very, very low spiritually. This is the main work of the great tzaddikim. This is their main mission. And this is what will bring Moshiach speedily in our times. It's through this specifically. Because this is what Moshiach is all about, as we showed earlier in the Halacha. Rav Nosal showed how Moshiach is a composite of all the good points coming from Rus, the convert, etc., etc., and this is what the Pesach says there, Vahamaskilim yazhiru, the maskilim will shine, umatzike horavim kakuychovim, and those who are able to find good in the public, like the stars, ki iker hatikun vahagula, bekeitso achroin, yi alidei bechinazu, because the main tikun, the main perfection, and the main final redemption of the Jewish people is going to be brought about through this. Through the good points, which are the stars. Usually we don't necessarily like to bring in current events or things like that, but it's incredible hashkocha proti, and, and maybe it's worth mentioning because it brings, brings things more to life. That I had conversations this morning, one, an email conversation, and the other one was a telephone call, and they both connected very much related to our topic. About a week ago, a little more than a week ago, I had the privilege of going to Uman, to Rabbein Azalsin, with a few new recruits. These are, some of them come from, all of them really, are Bali Tshuva, people who at some point in time were not so close to Hashem and decided to be mitchazek, as we say today, to become either to become religious or to become more religious. One of them has actually been teaching Torah for the past 15 years, teaching Gemara and Halacha. He's also a very spiritual person, very much into tefillah and serving Hashem. This one who's teaching Torah is sort of a rabbi to the other three. One is a brother of his, the other two are students of his. And all four came to the decision that they want to go to Oman, that they're going to spend whatever it is, $1,000 or more for plane fare, for accommodations, the travel, and to leave their work. These were all working people also. They're going to leave their jobs for two, three days to travel across the world. They're going from the United States to Russia. It's an eight, nine-hour flight to the Ukraine to go to the kever of a tzaddik. And upon their return, they were very excited, and they mentioned that the actual trip, which was 48 hours, 40 of the 48 hours was definitely spent on learning and praying. 40 of the 48 hours. So the rabbi sent me an email this morning that uh, they finally, the attack began. They received their first attack, that one of the people who came on the trip was approached by the rabbi of, the shul, of his shul, took him on the side and said to him, I heard you went to Oman. Did you ask a rabbi before doing that, before going there? So the person looked at the rabbi incredulously. He said, well, actually, I went with Avi, who is my rabbi. I'm learning with him for 15 years. So the rabbi said to him, but do you know that you could become Breslov? You could become Breslov. And this rabbi who wrote me this email points out, in parentheses he writes, as if, you know, like, you could be Mechal Shabbos. So as, you, as if this were one of the 365 negative commandments in the Torah. Do you know that this could lead you to do this? 
So the student didn't respond to that at all. And the rabbi who went was writing to me because he was very incensed by this. And he said that his nature, he, he knows that he's next on the firing line. He's probably going to be the next one to be questioned about this trip. And he's ready to let him have it. He's ready both barrels to, 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 to open up to this other rabbi with both barrels. And he's questioning whether it's the right thing to do. And I mentioned to him that it's possible that if you think that something good will come from that, if you think that that's going to bring the rabbi closer to Hashem or it's going to affect something positive, you might consider it. Otherwise, you might consider not doing it, not challenging him, not arguing with him, because he's not necessary. He's not look. He's not asking for your opinion. He's coming to you with a final verdict. You know. That, and he wrote to me in parentheses there. He wrote that this rabbi is capable of doing anything, including breaking all the rules. And I was implying implying that this rabbi is capable of using his authority or using his position to 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 do. To, to give a person a very, very rough time, you know, to get a person thrown out of the community or certainly fired from a job, you know, those, those kind of things. And he also commented that this rabbi, who sort of leans towards the Litvish derech, even though he's Sephardic, the rabbi is a Sephardic rabbi, but he follows the Litvish type of approach. And the Litvish, uh, he considers Breslavers, Lubavitchers, and Sephardim, Sephardim who are not on the Litvish derech, the, the regular traditional Sephardim, he considers all three of these at best fourth-class citizens. This is the wording that he wrote to me. A few hours later, I got a phone call from a, a person, a woman, who's involved in a shidduch. She's, she was never married before and involved with a shidduch with a person who was married and divorced with a child, a five-year-old daughter. And the shidduch seems to be moving along in a positive way. And there's one issue that, of concern that she was concerned about, that she heard that the potential mother-in-law sort of follows the Litvish type of approach and is not too keen on balei tshuva, or certainly balei tshuva who come from a major secular background. And she expressed a concern about that. And I shared this email, and she was saying that th- this is so difficult, that this is an actual situation in Klal Yisrael today that there are people and it's not, we're not talking about one or two, there are thousands of people out there who find it more easy to see the negative rather than the positive and to disqualify a major, a large part of the Jewish community to write them off, period, as non-Jews or semi-non-Jewish you know, at best, you know, very easily. And unfortunately this is not only in the Litvish community, I remember Reb Michal Zechron my rabbi, who grew up in Russia and moved to Yerushalayim and lived on the border of Mea Sharim for the last 35 years of his life and davened in the Breslev Shul in Mea Sharim three times a day usually, all of his life, was lived mostly with people from the Mea Sharim community. And yet despite that, I saw his attitude sometimes when we would go to the Kosel, to the Kotel Maravi, and he would see soldiers there with kipot, without kipot, and he would look at them with tremendous love, respect, concern, you know, all kinds of mixed feelings, but certainly not degrading them that these people, these people are putting their lives on the line to defend Eretz Yisrael, and any of them who are not practicing any part of Yiddishkeit, it's only because they don't know, they weren't educated, they grew up in places not not religious, etc., looking at them with that kind of attitude. And for example, one of the major, one of the hot issues in Yerushalayim, certainly, and even throughout the world, 10 years ago, and it's still brewing and simmering and sometimes comes up more, more strongly, for example, as an example, is the issue of shetels. Those Jewish women, Orthodox, who choose to cover their hair using synthetic hair, using a hairpiece, or even using human hair shetels, which according to many, many rabbis are permissible, kosher, etc., 100% glad kosher, etc. However, there are major rabbis in Klal Yisrael who, who are of the opinion that shetels in general are not, are not acceptable, and certainly, especially, the shetels that, that are being promoted these days in our times 
in the year Tuf Kufayin Aleph, where we are today in 2011, where in many cases, many cases, unfortunately, the shaitals are much, much, much more attractive. They attract much more attention than if the person were wearing their own hair or showing their own hair. So there are many rabbis that have come out on all different levels speaking against shaitals, some of them choosing to address only specifically those shaitals, the custom shaitals that, that start at three and a half, four thousand dollars and up, and again are made to attract certainly not only the attention of the woman's husband, but especially wherever this woman goes, everybody notices the attractiveness and the showiness of the shaitl. There are some rabbis that have chosen to speak out against that, that certainly the purpose of a shaitl is not to attract the eyes of men. And and there are other rabbis, though, that have chosen to make a blank statement and to bring proofs from the Chumash, from the Gemara, from the Navi, from the Shulchan Aruch, from the heavenly court, from earthly courts, from everything, from Kabbalah, from Hasidus, from Litvish, from all backgrounds, that all shaitals are treif puzzle. It's treif, it goes against Judaism, etc. And this is what's delaying the coming of Moshiach, and this is the major, major issue of our times, etc. And I saw that Reb Michal Zechron of Rocha's response when it came to this was, he couldn't accept a rabbi or a Jew writing off whole Orthodox Jewish communities. Because he said, let's say you have, for example, Hasidei Gur, Hasidei Bells. We're talking about Hasidic communities where thousands of women, thousands of Orthodox Hasidic women wear shetels. And Baruch Hashem, many of those thousands of women, their shaitals are not of the extreme, showy, attractive, that attract all the attention of the birds and the trees and the pe- everything like that. And he commented about this, that this is not our derech. We cannot, we do not write off simply with a wave of a hand, say that these tens of thousands of, of Hasidic Gur women are not religious that they're violating, they're going against the Torah and the Gemara and the Kabbalah, everything, etc., etc. We should be zeicher, we should be zeicher to, to learn Rabbeinu Zal's forum, Rabbeinu Zal's teachings, Rabbeinu Zal's teachings, and to know how to apply them in every facet of our lives, in judging ourselves and in judging other Jews. And we see Rabbeinu Zal's words here, how he ended the paragraph, by saying, this is what Mashiach, this is what Mashiach is all about being able to recognize the Nekudas Toivas in people, and that this is Iker Hatikun Vagula Bekeitz Achroin will be brought about through the Nekudas Toivas, which are these Koychovim. One of the points that I wanted to make was, even if, even if a Jew disagrees with something that another Jew is doing, whether it's going to visit the kever of a particular person, etc., or anything, any, ac- any action that a Jew is doing, person has to, has to have the ability sometimes to be able to think carefully about what's going to happen if I approach that person and I insult that thing that they did that they perceive as a mitzvah or a good thing, what's going to come out of that? Is that going to be bring honor to Hashem? Is that going to make the person more religious? Is that going to inspire the person or motivate the person? Or is that going to confuse the person in some cases? And regarding this, we know there's a concept of a fifth Shulchan Aruch. We know that the Shulchan Aruch consists of four sections, Orachayim, Yeredeya, Ebenezer, Chesh, Mishpat. But there's a fifth Shulchan Aruch, this term fifth Shulchan Aruch, which is called common sense, where a, a, a Jew, an observant Jew, and especially a rabbi, in many cases, has to think very, very carefully when he, when he analyzes a situation where he sees somebody doing something, what the right response is for that thing. Even, even if he thinks sometimes that he has clear proof from the Torah that this is wrong. I've mentioned the example many times of Rabbi Rosenfeld, Zechron of Rocha, who once told one of his students to sit Shiva on Shabbos. And there were people who heard about this, and they were aghast. And they said, we got him. We finally caught him. Now we're going to take him to the big rabbis, and we're going to show that he's a real Amharetz. He's anti-Torah. He's not orthodox. He's not absurd. He doesn't know what he's talking about, etc. And they went to one of the very big rabbis at that time, Reb Moshe Feinstein, Zechon Avrocha, was living at the time, and they said, is there any opinion in halacha that says that you sit shiva on Shabbos? And he said, no, of course not. And they said, good, because there's this rabbi 
he calls himself a rabbi at least. And he told a, stu- a student of his to sit Shiva on Shabbos so we can, uh, we can burn him, right? We can destroy, right? So he said, by the way, who's the rabbi? And he said, it's this Rabbi Rosenfeld, Rabbi Tzviat. He said, if it's him, think carefully before you say anything because he certainly knows the halacha as well as I do. And if he told somebody to do something, it's certainly not from lack of knowledge of halacha. And when they investigated the situation a little further, they discovered that this student had just started becoming religious. He had just started attending classes. He was not yet Shomer Shabbos. He would go to work on Shabbos. And the rabbi understood that if he tells this student that he doesn't sit shiv on Shabbos, he'll get in the car and go to work. Very simple. And the rabbi understood that by telling the student sit shiva meant simply staying home, not going to work. That's basically what it meant for the student. By telling him that, he would give the student and his father who had passed away one of the greatest gifts possible. This would be the first Shabbos that this student would observe in his life and possibly lead to his observing other Shabbosim. So whereas a, a typical young rabbi would look in the Shulchan Aruch when he was asked this question, do you sit shiva on Shabbos? No. And the rabbi would be guilty of, of assisting that, sending that person out to work on Shabbos, a rabbi who was a little more mature, who had a little broader vision, was able to analyze the situation, understand the situation better, and know what to tell this particular person in his circumstance in order to bring him closer to Hashem. And this is what Dovod HaMelech says in Tehillim, Praise Hashem, all the stars. Because by a Jew being able to find the good points within themselves and within others, which are like the stars, which light up the sky, the night, the darkness, when a person is to follow this path of looking for the good points and finding them, this gives the person the ability to praise Hashem in a big way. Bebechinas, as Rabbi Nezal mentions the Pasuk, I praise Hashem with my oid ma'at vein rosha, with that little drop of good that I see in myself. And this is also what the Medrash means when it says that Hashem gave the moon, the stars, in order to appease the moon, in order to help the moon. Because what's going to bring about the tikkun for the moon? What's going to bring about the tikkun for the shechina, for the Jewish people? The stars, those good points. That ability to realize the good points and identify them and put them together to combine the dots to form a song, a praise to Hashem, that's going to bring about the tikkun for the moon. Now Rav Nosanzal enters into a new topic. He's adding another car to the train. And this is also the whole concept of the very, very important mitzvah that a Jew has to mourn the destruction of the Beis HaMikdosh and the exile of the Jewish people. And one of the special ways that we do this is by getting up in the middle of the night, at midnight, to say special prayers and to cry, to express our regret and remorse for all the mistakes that we've made that have contributed to the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash or to the lack of it being built in our time. Yet, whereby a Jew has to break the strongest part of the sleep. At midnight, a person who, normal people, not today's nuts, who grow up in places like America, Western culture, or Eastern culture, today it's the whole nutty world that we're in, where because we have electricity and everything, it's very normal for people to stay up till midnight and through midnight, go to sleep at 5 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, they say their prayers at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Rahman al-Islam. But talking about normal, you know, Jewish observant, normal Jewish people who know that the nighttime is for sleep. You know, some of the nighttime, for sure. The Gemara says that the nighttime is for learning, but that refers especially, preferably, for the second half of the night. According to the Zohar HaKodesh and the Sifrei Kabbalah and Sifrei Hasidus, that refers to the second half of the night. So Rav says, at midnight, we're breaking the strongest part of the sleep. How? Al Yedei Hanekudos Toivos. Through those good points. As Dovran Amelech says, Ura Kevoidi, 
wake up. Uro hanevel vechinar, wake up the, the musical instruments. We said before that the musical instruments, the song, is made up of those little dots, those individual nekudais toivos. And with this, we can understand David Amelech's alarm clock. The Gemara says he had a special harp that was positioned in such a way that at midnight, when the north wind blows, it would blow through the strings of the harp and it would start playing. And with this, David Amelech would wake up and, and start serving Hashem, Torah and Tefillah. That north wind represents the good spirit, the Ruach, we, sp- we, we spoke about this earlier in this halacha, refers to the Ruach Toiva, the Nekuda Toiva, Hatsafon Vitomir. The word Tsafon means north, and the word Tsafon also means hidden inside the person. The Holy Spirit, the good spirit, the Nekuda Toiva that's hidden inside the person. Afilu Betachlis Hashena, even when the person is in the most solid sleep, meaning they're spiritually asleep. Even when the person's at their lowest level, as the Posuk says, What is this great goodness that you have hidden away, Hashem? So Rav is using this Posuk to, to connect to what we said before about the Ruach Tzofoim, that Nekuda Toiva that's hidden inside the person, which is referred to as this Rav Tuv this incredible goodness, this drop of good that's inside the person that's so powerful that if you, if you focus on it, you can turn the person around completely. And this Ruach Tzofan, this north wind, this hidden good that's inside the person, that's what played in Dovra Melech's harp. Because we said before, these good points are what generate songs. And that's why the Gemara says that the harp would play by itself through these, through these good points. That when you discover the good points, the music gets, starts by itself. And this is what helps a person wake up from the deepest sleep at midnight. You know, when the person's in their deepest sleep, the deepest darkness, when the night is darkest, this can help the person come out of that darkness. These good points. And this is the whole concept of the Jewish people leaving Egypt. Which is discussed in the parsha, that fourth parsha that we started this year speaking about, where it speaks about the new moon. Because this parsha, this kiddush is the first mitzvah, and that's the first portion of the Torah that was given to the Jewish people as an official nation upon leaving Egypt. Why? Because the whole concept of leaving Egypt, the redemption from exile, was dependent on this. As we see, the Torah mentions this in Yechezkel Hanovi, chapter 16, which we say in the Haggadah on Pesach, Hashem says, I passed over you, and I saw you bubbling in your blood. I saw you covered with blood. You were messy. You were one big bloody mess, the Jewish people, at that time when they were in the exile of Egypt. We were filthy with sins, with all kinds of bad things. The Jewish people were very dirty at the time. Because we had gone down to the 49th level of impurity. Hashem took pity on us. And Hashem was able to find good points in us even when we were in the worst, worst impurity of Egypt, which had, which had overtaken us. As the Medrash says, The Jews were taken out of Egypt because of four good things that they did, meaning 
we were doing hundreds and thousands of bad things, but because Hashem was able to discover four good things that we were doing, He took us out of Egypt. This is the whole concept of the good points that Hashem was able to find in us even when we were in Egypt. And it's because of these good points, this is what brought about our redemption. This is what made it possible for Hashem to judge us favorably and to take us out of Egypt. This is what the Pesach says, Hashem says, I said to you, when I saw you covered in blood, filthy, I said to you, in the blood you will live, in the blood you will live. Meaning, even with all of this filth and garbage, despite that, you will live. Meaning, because even in that kind of situation, it's still possible to discover good points. And it's through this that the Jewish people were redeemed, were taken out of exile. And this is why the first mitzvah that the Jewish people were given officially as a, as a nation upon exiting Egypt was this mitzvah of declaring the new moon holy. Because this is the whole concept of sanctifying the new moon by seeing a drop. When we see a drop of light, right away, Mekudash, Mekudash, holy, holy. This is the essence of the Jewish people coming out of Egypt. And this is what the final redemption is all about. It's the final redemption is referred to as the gathering in of all the rejected Jews, the Jews that are far, far away, those who are very distant. Baruch Hashem li'olam, amen v'yamen. Blessed is Hashem, amen v'yamen. With this, Rav Nosen Zal concluded this halacha, but then he went on at some later point to add another two pages of appendix, which will take up in the next year, Mitzvah